Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Hardcore is a new series from Heritage Radio Network. Over six episodes, we're taking a close look at the rebirth of American cider. Really, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that cider started to be revitalized in the United States. From the science of fermentation. So yeast, it's a fungus, it's a unicellular fungus. To the magic of terroir. What really excites us is thinking about communicating that very sort of spiritual aspect of knowing a piece of land. We're setting aside our cider donuts to gain a deeper understanding of this singular beverage. I love a cider donut. You don't have to have a cider donut with your cider, and I will die on that point. Subscribe to Hardcore wherever you listen to podcasts. Good morning. Today is Thursday, November 14th. There's quite a chill outside. I'm Emily Pearson, and I'm here with my co-host, Brandon Hoy. I feel so weird today. I'm sitting in Patrick's chair, and it's it smells over here. Does it? It's weird. Still? Since last it's Thursday? Gross. Oh, man. I don't know what he does. I mean, we'll clean the headphones for you. I don't comfortable in his chair. You, you notice when he's not here, usually I still sit in my own chair. I know. It's I gave away your here. seats to our your seat to well, our guests that, today. That was very kind of you. They they probably don't want to sit in this seat. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the microphone smells. Speaking and the, of Patrick, weird. he's yeah. in uh, Kansas City awaiting the gobble, arrival. Gobble 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 gobble. You got something on the sampler for that? I do. A noise for that one? No. No. I don't think this thing even works anymore. Oh, we're not even plugged in. No. All right. No. Well, Patrick is uh, loading thousands of turkeys uh, starting today that are going to go out around the country to our wholesale customers at Heritage Foods and mail order. Um, Thanksgiving is one holiday you really don't want to screw up. It is important to everybody. See, I don't eat turkey. And Patrick knows this. I know. We talk- I'm not, I'm not I, remember we, I remember we talked about it this year. I yeah. mean, maybe we're going to. It's just not my thing. All right. Uh, Fair enough. I'll, what about this? What about side dishes? I love all the side dishes. Every all the side dishes. I'll take all the side dishes. Just turkey is not really my thing. Fair enough. I usually, um, you know, we do. I'll do like a duck. What about stuffing? I mean, bread's so important for Roberta's in your life. I love stuffing. Do you bring home Roberta's bread for your stuffing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We we actually make stuffing here. So really, have like the little. Yeah, it's nice. Can I can I buy it? Can I take it home? Mm, I don't know. What do you mean? It's Maybe. like an in-house, only Maybe. if you know a guy? Yeah. I mean, I know a guy, don't I? Psh, I don't think you do. Ooh. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know. Emily, for you, probably. <laughs> All right. In other news, we celebrated the 10th anniversary of this wonderful, awesome station, Heritage Amazing. Radio Network. 10 years. I know. This, this I was like... This uh, shipping container is still standing. Roberta's is going strong. 
I'd like to say it was, that was when I had hair, but I didn't have hair then either. No. I mean, you were a hat. Also gray. You were a hat every day. Nothing really changed. Well, it was at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens. It was beautiful. We had a new sort of like entryway this year. It was, it was a photo booth at the start. Amazing, like awesome carving stations, wine. Um, we had some really cool chefs that were involved from Momofuku Nishi and Oto. Uh, Chef Marjorie came up from St. Anselm. We had Park Avenue had this like spread with leaves everywhere. They know how to do a, a tablescape for sure. So. And did you invite any veterans? There were actually when Katie got up on the stage, there was a it was on Veterans Day and they she did a little, you know, thank you. And there was a good round of applause. So I think there were for sure a few in the house. Nice. But, uh, you know, we had, it was a it was a celebration. And Katie was just featured yesterday. Our executive director was in uh, Eater. Mm. She had a, a really cool piece for the Eater Young Guns um, session. Uh, and so shout out to her. And Brandon, your mm. com- your commissary kitchen is now next door. Wow. It happened. It happened. It took me forever. Congratulations. Yeah. So everything's sort of under one roof? It's getting there. I'm still I'm still at Fi- I still have frozen pizza at Pfizer. <coughs> okay. Um but um but it's it's happening. It's all it's all coming so together. So eventually can you like take over all of Moore Street? Who do you have to buy well, out no, next this door? This is not space. This is space I've had for for years. I've just figured out a way to kind of consolidate everything, but we've had that that space forever. It's just installing refrigeration and, mm, and all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah, you know how fun it is. All right. Well, so yeah. in studio, we have some really special guests with us today. We have husband and wife sheep farming duo and authors of Coyotes in the Pasture and Wolves at the Door, John and Suki Jameson of Jameson Farm in Pennsylvania. Good Hello. morning. Good morning. You Good guys morning. are no strangers to Heritage Radio Network. You were telling me before that last year you were on with Linda Palaccio. Yes, we were. Fantastic. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, Does the studio wonderful. look any different to you? No. We found our way. We found our way. You recognized it for sure. Well, welcome back. We're really Thank excited you. to have you. And uh, I know last night you said you were at ICE with Bill Telepan doing yes. a lamb demo. Yeah, Suki. Actually, Suki and Bill were cutting it. I was talking. And uh, as Suki says, she does all the thinking. I do all the talking. Well, I, I noticed from your book, it's uh, <laughs> the, the memoir vignettes are mostly written in your voice. And then the, yes. the recipes segue to, to Suki, it seems. Right. All right. Well, we're going to let her talk a little bit today, right? I hope. So we yeah. always like to open our show with a game of word association. So we, we do this kind of quick. First word association for Suki, Julia Child. Tasty but tough. Oh. I like that. Tasty but tough. And your other one, shepherd's pie. Who said beef is in shepherd's pie? So what's in yours? What do you think? (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) Lamb. Is it braised or is it ground? Ground. Usually ground. Yep. Awesome. And then it's topped with, I saw there was a picture in the book. Mashed Mashed potatoes. potatoes. And no crust. It's no, just uh, just mashed potatoes. Fantastic. I, I, I might actually do lamb for Thanksgiving this year. It's actually, that was going to be a I'm question thinking, later I'm in the show. I thought it's we could talk about choice. some it's lamb centerpieces. You know, yeah. why not? Heritage Foods can help you out with some lamb. The Jamesons can also help you out with yeah. some lamb. Yeah. It sounds delicious. I feel like by the end of the show, it's, it might not even make it till Thanksgiving. It might have to happen tonight. I think it's going to be this weekend or tonight yeah. for sure. John, sounds your good. word is delivery, shipping, trucking. A pain in the neck. Sounds right. Yeah. How do you do most of your uh, delivery? Now we do most everything UPS. 
because where where the farm is, one of the great advantages is that uh, we're only uh, ten miles from a big UPS center, and FedEx also they compete, but FedEx but uh, UPS is doing better with ground. That's great. Yeah, no, it's such a, but for us at Heritage Foods, it's such a key thing. You know, if you're within a ground zone versus like when we ship things out of our our Kansas City processing plant, uh, ground does not pick up there. It's only 25 miles north of Kansas City or so. And, and pick up. you can do like special requests, but it's not a standard like ground zone. So we end up being in that, you know, two day air. So we try to ship everything out of New York or out of California. Really? Um, because the ground zone out of New York is, is great. Yeah. Brandon, for which, pizza, which, do you which ship? Which doesn't really make sense. You would think someone yeah. like in the middle of the, if it's middle central, of the United you States would think... so centralized that they would actually have a better logistics and ground zone. But... I think if, if, uh, if we ask Paradise to drive drop off well first of all what's also weird to me is if they miss their express pickup or like they're packing a box at the last minute they just go and drop it off at the airport and it's like no big deal i mean it just shows you like what would you do if you showed up at laguardia be like right. oh, i'm just here to drop off right, like like 25 turkeys yeah i don't it just it's so funny i'm like or keith, a casket like, box of lamb pieces yeah, yeah. i'm like keith Lou, I, I need one more thing and they're like all right we'll have our guy go past he drives past the airport on his way home anyway and i'm like what do you just leave it they're like there's a fedex area and in new york it doesn't our, work our like shipping that. is more difficult though i mean none of you guys do frozen completely right us ours is we completely, do. Sure oh, we do. yeah right so i guess it's the same yeah i mean we're all in the frozen game do you guys use dry ice in the in the summer if we have to, but we use gel not packs. Not very often. Yeah, yeah. you try it's not two to. days. If it's if it's longer than two days, you're yeah, out of luck. Yes, we can't. We can't even do two days. So really? where are you shipping to? I mean, I have to do overnight if I ship. So that'd be a gold belly because ours is frozen pizza. So oh, it's like there's it, nothing it, to. There's no. There's nothing yeah. to hold the, it's the not, freeze. It's the not freeze. dense so enough. So the second it starts to go, it just turns floppy, and then you're screwed. Right. And do you do your you do fulfillment? Out of this we, block? Uh, we only do some fulfillment. Most of it happens through Gold Belly or, you know, other third-party companies that sell it. Um, <clears throat> so we don't usually do it, but we have four or five accounts that we do. You also for. have this really nice friend next door, Heritage Foods. We sometimes, you know, uh, help you out with the scale <laughs> and the box. We do. That's usually when you're shipping some, like, mother to the West Coast. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Actually, we've done that a few times. I, I have shipped frozen pizza from there as well, but it's usually like shipping it to somebody as a like yeah, as a, a present. Gift. Sure. Yeah. All right, John. Your other word is Hollywood. So Hollywood be, would be Jodie Foster. Oh yeah. Who's in the book? Are you still friends? Uh, yes. Yeah, we're she friends. She puts the lotion in the basket. Well, I don't think she put the lotion in the basket, <laughs> did she? The other creepy guy did. No, I no, Silence of the Lambs. I yeah, was trying so to come yeah. full circle here with some the, lamb jokes. Yeah, well, that was so she was so we we provided the. Uh, if you got <laughs> you're trying to hit the buttons. Normally we got a round of applause on that yeah. one. Yeah, That's yeah. good. Ding ding ding. That's good. But she was um, she's in the book because uh, uh, the movie was filmed in Pittsburgh, and right. and she uh, she's not very tall. So they needed a baby lamb for her to hold, and it ended up in the movie because uh, Hannibal drew a picture of Clarice that he gave to her. Or, right. Yeah, when she came to see him in the uh, yeah. in the jail. Yeah. 
Wow, the very fava, fava beans. The fava Did they beans. name yes. the lamb Jameson? No. <laughs> but it was silent. Yeah. All right, well, so yeah, yeah, for sure. So we regularly talk about Meghan Markle on this show. Oh, again? Come yeah, on. Come <laughs> on. Do you know who Meghan Markle is? Yeah, I do. Okay. I had to research, though. I am an old fogey. No, no. At least you were not the person who thought we were talking about Angela Merkel. <laughs> the oh. German Chancellor. Yeah, right. Oh yes. <laughs> we had someone oh. answer one of these questions, being like, "Well, I don't really keep. I don't really brush up on my German politics." To be honest <laughs> All right, with you. she is Prince Harry's wife, actress right. turned Duchess of Sussex. So, if you were invited to serve Meghan, Harry, and Archie a single bite of lamb, what preparation and/or cut would you choose? You said. Mm. Didn't I say lamb shank? No, I said lamb shank, and you oh. said lamb tenderloin. Tenderloin, absolutely. Oh. I've never had lamb tenderloin. Oh, you are missing delicious. something. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Is there a particular preparation that you know would be fast for the nature's fast food? What does that mean? <laughs> Cook it quickly, just because it's a small little piece. How big yeah. is a lamb tenderloin? That's about size of that a cigar. long. It looks like a cigar. Wow, you saute yeah. it. I mean, a pork briefly? a pork tenderloin oh. weighs like you know. Three quarters of a pound to a this pound. A, so a lamb tenderloin's got to be like yeah, a little... It's like a little a Vienna sausage. Maybe yeah. a quarter of a pound. Is that the most expensive cut of the lamb? Yeah, but Pretty we much. don't... Yeah. You don't sell it independently? Well, it, yeah, I have a lot of them, especially when chefs take the eye of the loin out and they want only that. I've got a lot of... you got a lot of tenderloin in the freezer. I do. All right, that so works. So I have to package it and sell it. All right, so you've got the tenderloin. John, the shank... So, yeah, this, well, there's so many. But the shank, I would say. I shank and like shoulder. I like a crown roast. I know that's not yeah, a bite. Crown. I know that's not a bite. That's not a bite, but it's wonderful. A la crown. That's great. Crown rack lamb is wonderful. For a visual, it, it's a yeah. beauty. Yeah. We could put it on Meghan Markle's head. Oh, <laughs> that'd be good. Just, all right. just like all the juices. All the juices are flowing, oh, yes, on little Archie. So oh. you write in your book that you fell into farming because the land that you purchased in Pennsylvania lent itself to sheep. So tell me, as climate changes occur, what food or ingredient will you be saddest to lose because of climate change? And what food do you see yourself gaining? Or are there certain grasses? If I could have tomatoes all year round, I would love that. Is that happening with climate change in no, Pennsylvania? Not yet. No. An asparagus, if I can have asparagus. A longer, longer asparagus season would be nice. That would be good. Those are my wish for Brandon, what do you get now? Well, I feel, like, I feel like any of these, like, uh, you know, short season things that you want, strawberries, yeah. right? Strawberries, right. it seems like it just keeps getting shorter and shorter, the, the like, really just Well, crispy. what do you mean? This week we just plummeted, you know, how many degrees from one day to the I know, the but next. this year I feel like strawberry season was, like, super fast. Uh, I think, you know, you have, like, ramps, asparagus, all right. of these ones that just, like, they, I, I felt like... Ten years ago, they were a little bit longer, four, like four weeks longer. I feel like they just keep getting shorter. Uh, do you see that as like a like your do your specials change as far as your the the menu here or your pizza toppings because of shortened season? Yeah, I mean, you know, like the the like strawberry salad and stuff like that. They're really fun to have, and they they're like you know two three weeks long now, where they used to be, you know, six weeks long. So I don't really? know. I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's direct uh, climate change. I feel like season to season, you just have these kind of things. I just feel like the last two have been shorter. It's been. It's been so wet. It's been yeah. so wet. Last year we had. We normally have, and this is the reason why it's a great place for lambs. We have forty to forty-five inches 
annual rainfall. That's normal. Last year we had 60. Nice. It, oh, it's so the wet. Grass is green. It's green, but you can't you can't plant things. You can't yeah. get in to harvest it. And 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 the grass was getting ahead of me because I couldn't mow it. And then I couldn't move the lambs the same way, and it was wet on their feet and everything. There are a lot of issues. The spring started out the same way this year, actually even more rain. Right. And then it stopped and got dry. So then, you know. What does that different. mean for the lamb? Do they not grow as, as large? Do they not eat as much because they're not grazing in the same way? No, it's just that if the, if the grass is, gra- is growing that fast when there's that much rain, uh, the, the two things that will happen is, number one, you can't get in to mow it. After they get out, you want to mow it down so it rests and it can grow back up again. You can't get a tractor in to mow it. It's just too wet. Yeah, you're, you're stuck just, in the mud. You're stuck <clears throat> in the mud, literally. And then also what will happen is the um, uh, there's, there's so much water in the grass that they don't quite grow as well. And you have parasitic potential problems also hmm. because that and it, and it starts to become harder to move them as well right yes you need to move them from 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 piece to piece and yeah give them some get them walking yeah, yeah. And john and suki were very early in the rotational grazing right. idea for for their sheep so right. yeah how many acres do you have now uh 212 you started with 65. Who'd yeah. you, you kicked someone out next door? No, <laughs> no we moved from one farm to another. Ah, okay, we moved okay. to a new farm. But the new farm was 110 acres, and then over the 30 years, we bought 100 more. Did you bring the farmhouse that you first went to Pennsylvania for with you? No. Hmm. But yeah. it's the one we have now. It's nice, too. Well, that's yeah. sad. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, you know, you brought it... <laughs> Took it it apart, moved it over. No. So if you could bring back just one person, famous or not, to have a meal with, who would it be and why? Who are you going to pick? I know you guys have had some some good celebrity chef run-ins over the years. So I don't know. Is perhaps someone who put Jameson Farm on the culinary map or? We'd enjoy another dinner with Julia. Absolutely. Julia Child. Sure. She's an important person around here at Heritage Radio. There's the mm-hmm. Julia Child uh, Scholars. Um, and actually, Katie, our executive director, came out of that program. And we've had many uh, radio interns yes. who have come through the, that scholarship. She was very important to us. I know. She I, helped us a lot. You would send her a, a leg of lamb every year for Easter? We send one at uh, Easter and her birthday in August every year. And, and she and loved her lamb, correct? She did. Mm-hmm. She, she did, did very much. Yeah. And she... And uh, uh, that's where that tasty from tough. That that's yeah. the tasty but tough chapter about how we process lamb now, and uh, which is an interesting story. But certainly Julie, and then I would say also probably Jean Louis Paladin, who really was the chef that started us. I was reading in their memoir, so you you guys wrote that he sort of put you on the the restaurant uh, chef map and yes, that you yeah. had a you had to pick three the most the best and most beautiful <laughs> lamb to drive to uh, the Watergate Hotel in right. DC and uh, speaking of not using dry ice i guess you pulled over maybe like 10 times oh, on the way terrified. just to check the just to check how the ice packs were doing yeah. what time it was in may so it was it was uh, it was in may it was memorial day 1988 and uh, he needed lamb for uh, for uh, a dinner he was doing on Saturday night. He called me on a Tuesday or Wednesday, and he needed it for uh, a dinner he was doing for a congressman on a Saturday night. 
and um, uh, I was terrified. And I kept thinking, what if I kill a congressman? And now, of course, <laughs> at my age, maybe yeah. that would have been a good yeah. idea. I mean, you know, yeah. But at the time... It could, it, it could have been helpful. Yeah, it could have been very state. helpful. Yeah, you should have asked for the guest list before yeah. you uh, yeah. unloaded the lamb. And now, is there, a, is there a chef or, I don't know, is there somebody who you're especially starstruck by that you work with? I know you guys have worked with Danielle Balud over the years. Yeah, we work, well, we work with Danielle... Uh, actually, we did the when he did the first um, James Beard dinner after he won the award for the best restaurant either in the country or New York. I think it was two thousand or something. Um, we uh, we took Lamb to him for that, and uh, he was cooking at James Beard house. And this is when Danielle was uh, where the um, where where uh, Cafe Balut is now mm-hmm. in Surrey, and. Uh, my car broke down and they forgot to order and my car broke down i was delivering on monday of the dinner the day of the dinner and i broke down in new jersey and i didn't get into what a beautiful place to break down oh, as I'll well. tell you. <laughs> just outside the lincoln tunnel <laughs> yeah i love it, it it was so we uh so danielle was there's a picture of him in the book and he looks like hell because we were all we were all frenching racks in in the bottom of the restaurant at, at, uh, in the cellar where the kitchen was at about 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon for dinner that started the Beard House on 12th at 6. Did <laughs> you factor was... in New York City traffic and oh, uh, transportation? Mess. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah, it was, those it was are the hair. good stories. It and uh, obviously, do you, still, do you still UPS slam to him? Uh, on occasion, not all the time. We said, who would be... Regular, I guess, uh, around New York would be uh, Dan Barber. We sure. sell to him Stone all the Barnes. time. Yeah, Stone Barnes and Blue Hill in the city. And, That's fantastic. Uh, yeah. He's a he's a wonderful chef, and uh, I know that he likes to support uh, local and high quality and things that he doesn't raise himself. Yeah, but cool. he uses every little bit of every lamb, which is he's great. amazing. So he, you you ship him a whole animal uh, on occasions. Yeah. But next is what he first really started buying. When he when he started Stone Barns, he asked me, he said, what do you have that's really cheap? And I said, nothing, Dan. Come on, you know better. <laughs> but anyway, he wanted, to use, he wanted to use next. He said, look at everybody I have in the kitchen. I need something cheap. I said, okay. So he started next, and it started this big craze for lamb necks, which has carried on. Since yeah, we then. get a lot of requests for them, actually, at, at Heritage, and I... We just don't have enough, you know. How about ears? Nobody, nobody's doing ears. Let's Pig ears, do ears for sure. Does anybody like lamb ears? No. No. Are they too? It's too woolly. It, yeah, they're it. too literally too woolly, and you woolly. have to you have to trim the head off, and it's too much. Yeah, we trouble. have to skin the heads. So I know you guys are. I mean, everyone in this room is very well versed in the New York City restaurant scene. So, is there a specific food or kind of restaurant that you think New York needs because we don't have it, or because? We have it, but it's just not good enough. Hmm. Like, what's missing? Hmm. Is there anything missing? I don't think There's so, so much in New There's York. so much. I don't know. Maybe you're going to say a, la- a lamb-only restaurant. No. But That's I don't know. What, what's not... Do you, you think that doesn't exist? No. I mean, I don't know. There's chicken-focused restaurants. I don't know. There's a lamb-only. Are there only. chicken-focused restaurants? Yeah. yeah they're they're always called pollo or something. Or poulet. <laughs> poulet. Uh, poulet. Uh, yeah, not there poulet. was the, the chef... Um, oh, what's her name? Georgina, I'm blanking on her name. She had a like a rotisserie chicken place for a little bit. Yeah, I think people oh, are yeah. focused just on that. But no, I don't know what's missing in New York. 
You might say good tacos, but people like mm-hmm. Los Tacos over in I Chelsea. Just, I think that if you really hunt it down, there's just about everything in New York. There is. What's, it's probably what makes this so magical uh, and such a culinary destination. It's There really is almost everything here. You just Some, some things are harder to find than others, but... Do you have a place you always come to when you visit New York? Because you can't get it in Pennsylvania or you dream of coming back for it? We just love to come here. We, well, it's like a I, vacation. I guess we're tacky enough as far as capitalists go. We're trying to be. That's what the wolves at the door part's about. That we usually go to restaurants and we sell to that are friends of ours. Absolutely. So, you know, going to see Billy, how bad can that be? Yeah. You know, same sort of thing. And you've probably followed, you know, Bill Telepan, who you were cooking with last night, is a good friend, and now he's at Oceana. Right. And, uh, yeah. Wherever he's cooking, we'll go. And, that's and he great. still uses lamb at the fish restaurant. Oh, for sure. <laughs> he uses bacon, too. We work with him for, uh, yeah, they use right. bacon on their menu. Yeah. Yeah, come on. You can't be a fish restaurant and not incorporate some of your favorite, most delicious So uh, if you had an all-lamb restaurant. You have to bring in not. some fish, maybe some oysters. Yeah. No? Maybe a little bacon. You guys, I know your your daughter who grew up on the farm with you, Eliza, she's a chef now. Yeah. And you said she has a few places in Pittsburgh? Yeah, she works at uh, a place called Muddy Waters, which is an oyster bar, and then they have two restaurants with it, a uh, chicken, fast chicken place and a sushi. But she worked, she went to CIA, and she did her externship at Cafe Balloon and worked at La Bernadette when she was 22 or something. So she worked for Eric for about a year and a half. I mean, it's yeah. a fantastic resume and great mm. people to learn from. Yeah. And we often talk on this show about, you know, like ascending food cities and how so many people who have come out of New York training go back to wherever they're from or to go to another city to to do something that's, you know, special and unique right. and where it's a little less saturated. Yeah. I is think Pittsburgh a cool food city? It's it, Well, Pittsburgh thinks it is. But it, it's I when we started, and that's why we started shipping all over the place, in the late 80s, when we really started shipping to Jean-Louis and other people, it was uh, 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 surf and turf in Pittsburgh was carp and kolbasi. Mm. <laughs> Sounds delicious. It's like to all together, right? <laughs> yeah. With like French Pretty fries. And yeah, like, uh, that's right. The sandwich, yeah. Yeah. the, the permani sandwich, is a sandwich with French fries on top of it. Oh, so it's the same, yeah. It's you know what's funny about that? You go to Italy and you go uh, to like the, the auto grill, which actually has decent sandwiches shockingly we would never say that in the u.s there's always french fries in sandwiches there but that's really? it it's such a weird thing but it's to not me. as gross here, here why but, you're just because you're in italy all maybe of a sudden, maybe like, there's something very as, romantic about yeah, it all yeah. yeah could be i don't know but what happened with permanis was it was historically when it started it was in the strip district of pittsburgh where they got all the produce and people would eat their eat their breakfast there at three or four o'clock in the morning or dinner, depending right. what shift they were on. So they wanted big sandwiches with more bounce to the ounce, and that's yeah, you got to fill, to the you gotta fill, yeah. fill that you, gut. What do you call a sandwich in Pittsburgh? Is it like a hoagie, a hero? Is there a different? Uh... No, it's a sandwich. Just a sandwich. Yeah. Doesn't matter what it's on. Like here we have a. Uh, what do we call them here? Yeah. Heroes? I, I don't know. Hoagie's you know, very I'm from Philly. California. I, I still call a sandwich a sandwich most times. Hoagie. A torta. A hero. Yeah, it depends. A, a torta. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. So what is everyone's favorite lamb dish to eat or cook? 
And uh, Suki, you talk about some signature dishes in the book. You know, is there a particular recipe that you've spent years perfecting? Most of our recipes are just were home recipes we did over and over and over again. So they're well tested for sure. And Bill Bill picked out one out of the book, the lamb paprika, because he grew up having chicken paprika. So he thought, well, let's try this with lamb. He Same didn't think thing. it was going to work. And it's really wonderful. It's Eastern European. He's Eastern European. Yeah. And so we were talking about that, and he put everything together except the sour cream. He said, oh, I held the sour cream. And I said, Bill, you can't have it. He said, I'm putting it in. I'm putting it in. I, I have to nervous. imagine that I had that at some point. My, my grandmother loved chicken paprika, but she oh, yeah. also loved lamb. Lamb, what we had lamb almost every time I went to her house. So really? I have to imagine that at some point she Probably tried that. Did. I just can't imagine that that didn't slip by her lamb paprika. It's so tasty. I love cumin lamb. Yeah. It's one mm. of my favorites. Yeah. I like, um, I actually like uh, when people do like a lamb bolognese. I mm. like it in a pasta. It has to be sort of, you know, as you guys talk about in your book, the lamb Meat. has to have the right flavor and it can't be too, you know, greasy. No, and I guess it definitely have... does depend on what the, what the lamb if it's fed. Gra- if it's grassland, well, we have a recipe there for it, which you probably saw. And uh, it's unbelievable. That, and um, uh, it's because lamb is grass lamb. And if it's raised on feedlots, what happens is the, the oil from the corn goes to the fat. Yeah. And that's what makes lamb taste greasy. And that's why Americans generally don't like lamb, because it's fed a lot like that. And uh, but when it's on grass, it's totally different. so. So are you guys a hundred percent grass? Or does, yeah. is there any? There's no point where they're where they're no. fed. The ewes, the mothers, when when they're uh, uh, feeding, yeah, or, yeah. It, it oftentimes we'll give them some if it, the weather's really bad. Right, just to get just to give them some insulation yeah. and right. It helps them produce lactate, right? Right. So, but we don't, so we'll put the rams in and actually in about two weeks, they'll be very happy in two weeks. And uh, so will the ewes. And then it's a five month (laughs) gestation period. And so they'll lay them in May. So the grass is really, really good when they're coming out. So the, the udders are big. They're producing a lot of milk, and then so the so the lamb gets right on the udder, and it's doing well on milk. But then when it goes off milk, the grass is incredible. So right. it's best time to do it. So you guys are timed all... them perfectly. Yes, I mean yep. a cocktail first, and then ready, <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right into dinner. So yep. is the so with pigs, the gestation period is three months, three weeks, and three days. Is the lamb gestation period quite as precise? Like five months almost to the day? Pretty much. Pretty much five five months. Is that right? I don't know. Yeah, like, do you have to be careful too- when you go on vacation? You're like, this is this well, you, is the day. You, figure you put them in in five months, or in five months you start to look for them. Sure. And then it'll be whenever the It'll be with I mean, we don't worry coming. about it the same way. It's a, we The way we do it, they're just out on the grass, and so it'll start. The first day will start. The fir- we, we'll figure one day. And they usually start a couple days before that, and then they'll go for two or three weeks. Do they? Does each uh, mother only have one baby? We try to have two. You try to average two because she's got two faucets. Hmm. So you try to, that's what you try to shoot for. Three is kind of hard, and one, you aren't getting everything that you should out of them. And uh, and they do better if they're. 
over two years old when they're ewe lambs, meaning the first they're having lambs and they're st they aren't are just a year old. Um, they don't know what happened often. What the hell's this? Hmm. You know, and so they don't mother as well as they might. They're young and immature. Their yes. minds yeah. aren't fully ready <laughs> to right. be moms. High yeah. school mothers. High I've school mothers. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> First timer. Yeah. I love <laughs> and are you guys at all in the in the wool business or in the cheese making business or completely just no, lambing? Just just lambs. Uh, when we started, there weren't um, uh, thirty years ago. There just weren't the right breeds available for milk. And wool is uh, when you can buy a sweater like this, you know, for what they cost. It's not worth it. So that's we just concentrated on on doing lamb. That kind of goes with your philosophy that you talk about in the book about, you know, don't buy local unless the quality is actually there. You know, yes. local doesn't mean it tastes better unless it's done properly. So exactly. it's, if you, uh, I guess, this, if you can buy a sweater that's better or more cost yeah. effective, you know, why try to right. that's reinvent the wheel? That's the way look, we look at it, yeah. But also that's how, that's how markets become stronger as well because now the competition, like if somebody wants to do it locally, they have, they have something to... to aspire to be right you want to be better if people just buy you because you're local not because of the quality right. you're never going to improve the quality right so yeah you know that that type of purchasing helps helps a competitive market that's you true. know i love a competitive market i know who are you competing with these days di giorno yeah. every day every day <laughs> every day competing against di giorno do they still exist i have I no know. idea you know i i i don't I'm know sure they do. i do I grew up here in New York City, and not to say that frozen pizza wasn't, you know, I guess it just wasn't our family's frozen thing. Frozen pizza was like when you brought home too many slices yes. and you just put one you in your freezer. You actually should see my fridge. Yeah. yeah. This week we ordered, Tuesday was freezing. We ordered pizza. And, you know, like you're always going to buy the biggest pie because you want to have more. Yeah. So I've got, you know, four pieces in the fridge, another four in the freezer. And, yeah, I don't need, no, I mean, I the Roberta's frozen pizza is wonderful. Thank but, you. Uh, I knew you were going to come back to it. Of yeah, course. She did. She of did. course. <laughs> But no, in New York, we take it for granted. We take it for granted in New York. You just call for delivery. <clears throat> yeah, almost twenty four hours. That's New York. I don't even know about almost anymore. I'm pretty sure you can call for delivery twenty four hours. Yeah, but what time does uh, Roberta start? Stop letting caviar pick up. Well, I didn't say you could get Roberta's yeah, forever yeah, yeah, twenty four okay, hours. Fine, but if you right. want pizza, I'm pretty yeah. sure you can find it twenty four hours a day. So let's talk about legacy. Uh, a lot of. Chefs are making comebacks here in New York. Alfred Portale has a new restaurant. Pastis reopened over the summer. Daniel Baloud, you know, continues to, to go strong and do really well. Do you believe a legacy can survive in restaurants? And what happens when there's new ownership or when an executive chef leaves? Do people keep you on as a, a lamb source? Or is it if a chef walks out the door, that's it? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it because I was trying to figure it out exactly how to answer it. Um, what, what happens with us, I think, over the years has been uh, when we pick up a new restaurant, it oftentimes is a chef that worked for Danielle or somebody. It's, you know, it's, it's the, it's the um, uh, his background, his resume. Sure. And so they know us because they use the lamb when they work for somebody else. But... Um, yeah, I think what Danielle has done by keeping going is great. We were talking about pastis last night because Bill worked for 
for Alfred. So um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I we have a chef in uh, well, uh, in Atlanta, uh, Annie Quattrano, that mm-hmm. has bacchanalia, and she's bought from us for she told me thirty one years, which is the first year we started basically. And she was in New York. She had a restaurant, worked for a restaurant in New York. Then. Yeah. So it's amazing. I mean, that stuff is great. What's the furthest you ship for a, a chef who has worked with you before? You know, would you guys ship to the West Coast or do you sort of have a cutoff? We do on occasions, yeah. It's not constant. We aren't shipping anybody now. Are we? Right. Not right now. When Chez Panisse calls, when Alice yeah. Waters yeah, says she, she needs calls, lamb. Send, when she comes east, she likes to she use our lamb. She uses us when she comes east. And she also did, she admitted this to me, that she, well, in front of some people, that she, before she could find the lamb she wanted there, she bought from us for a while. Well, that's Alice's thing, too. You know, she she likes to know her, her ranchers, and she likes to know the yeah. source, and she'd like it to be from California, but she'll always tell you if she can't find it locally. That's right. And if the quality is not there, then... Yeah, she's well, source elsewhere. What 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 really the book not to hit with the book right away, but what uh, what happened was in the eighties. What was so much fun was that you had Jean Louis buying from local farms on the East Coast because he came from an arid part of the world that didn't have refrigeration really, and everything was cooked by the season. And uh, then you had Alice, who was a Francophile. And just loved that. And, and she was doing it on the West Coast. And it was all happening at the same time. And it was really kind of cool. Because there were all these young chefs doing this. But there were only so many purveyors at that time that, could, that were stupid enough to do it, I would say. Well, yeah. and that you were stupid. also you know, doing your own butchering and breaking down cuts and being able to not just sell whole lamb. Yeah, but we, but we didn't buy the plant until '94. It became available, and Suki really wanted the plant because she was making um, uh, prepared products because we couldn't sell the offcuts at that time. We couldn't sell shoulders and shanks. And so we made uh, uh, two different stews, uh, three different sausages, and a barley soup. And by buying the plant, we were able to do all that there. Because you were inspected and you could yeah, do uh, USDA. where you were USDA and did you ship your prepared foods or they were all like farmers market style where people could we just pick up everything. locally? Wow, are we you still doing them. that? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's on our on our website, and that's really what our business started is a retail, a retail mail order business. But so how many days a week are you cooking and packaging prepared foods? Well, we do it. At- once or once a week or once every couple of weeks depends on my supply we make sure. I have a big tilt skillet and so we make 50 100 pound batches and wow. then package it in 24 ounce containers freeze it it's good to go so what's the what's the uh the favorite dish this time of year lamb barley soup or a lamb pie Ooh. it's a lamb pot pie mediterranean spices with a pie crust on top we won an award at the Fancy Food Show with it in oh 1997. Gosh. It was one of That's the, how long we've been cooking these things. Yeah. So I guess the rest. Would of you ever work. do? Would you ever do <laughs> lamb charcuterie? Would you ever do uh, have a drying room? Make some salami or a, a lamb prosciutto. It takes a long time. It's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> takes too long. It takes too for long. over a year. Yeah. Forget it. Yeah, I'm, I'm too anxious. All right, fair enough. And and what we do now is we use that we have two coolers. 
off of the off of the slaughter floor and uh, the first one it's that's the the chapter about Julia but we found out how to deal with tough meat uh, uh, when it's grass fed and so the first cooler they go into is 55 degrees curing temperature so we use that for that and they chilled the carcass chills down very slowly and by chilling down slowly the meat is not tough. If it's chilled down too quickly, you get this cold shortening thing that toughens it. And that's a problem with grass-fed meat. And then the next day, it goes into 35 degrees. So we utilize that temperature. So we couldn't cure at the same time. Got it's it. either one or the other. Cool. So we have to take a very quick break. Um, stick around. We'll be right back with Suki and John Jameson. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. All right, and we're back. This is the Main Course OG, broadcasting live on Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And speaking of Roberta's, we were just talking about shipping pizzas by the pallet around the country. John yeah. was asking uh, Brandon how, how often and how much are you shipping at a time? Well, we do, we do about eight pallets roughly a week wow. um, that, that ship out. And eight pallets is there's, there's 12 in a case and there's, there's um, 10 cases to a pallet. So my math is real bad. I, I was never very good at quick math, but uh, it's a lot. Clearly, do, Brandon is not in charge <clears throat> of checking the pallet count yeah. before they go out of the door. I know. I know that. what we're supposed to do a day, which is we, we do sixteen hundred pieces uh, a day when we when we're in production. So, you know, we we ship quite a bit. We, we're from. Um, you know, ju- Pennsylvania all the way really? down to Georgia, and then really? to, all the way over to Tennessee. So we're in two, two. Uh, we're in the Mid Atlantic and the and the Atlantic regions. We we could move and we have the capacity to move into the North Atlantic, which would do your distributors step. pick up or you deliver to local warehouses? Yeah, no, our distributor does both regions for us. So Rainforest picks up and they they do all the distribution for both of those the, the we do we do some of our own packaging and shipping um for some small accounts and then we have gold belly and and dean and deluca and some other companies that do their own um shipping. dean and deluca mm-hmm. still i thought well, they are no more i know they're i think okay. they're still they're still actually doing the shipping really? but they're all right they're yeah. they're tailing it tailing it away 
So we've been chatting, uh, hopefully you've been listening before this, we've been chatting with John and Suki Jameson of Jameson Farm in Pennsylvania. So we've been talking lamb the whole show, but we'd love to hear a little bit more. What sets your lamb apart from others raised in the U.S.? Uh, probably the grass where we are. And uh, the grass grows where well, as I always say, in April and May you can, uh, uh, at the end of the day, you can go up on the porch, open a beer, and listen to the grass grow it's growing so fast it's just amazing in our area and in 1900 the largest merino flocks in the country were in our area within about five counties because we get the right amount of rainfall and it's on the hills and the grass just grown crazy and it's wonderful that makes a big difference and then also the fact that we're um, oh and it changed the the taste changes so in the spring, in the early spring, we'll have it'll be garlicky. You'll taste the garlic and onion because that's the that's the first grass we have, and then there'll be different um, uh, uh, herbs and wildflowers. So we get wild anise in the summer, and then in the fall we'll get uh, Queen Anne's lace, which is wild carrot, and that sweetens it just like putting carrot into a stew. So you have that change. Uh, and, and also a very, very clean taste to the meat because of that. And then we've had our own plants for 25 years now. And so we do this high temperature conditioning thing I was talking about briefly. So it ensures that the meat's going to be tender all the way through. And then we age it for three to five days. And what breed are your lamb? We use various ones. What works best in our area, which is really kind of like what you do but what we do is is what what is kind of indigenous to the area and works best typically would be a cross between a uh, a uh, uh, a uh, blackface um, uh, english breed like suffolk or hampshire to a whiteface dorset they they are they're they're grass breeds in England, and they do very well. And our ewe flock right now, we have a lot of uh, North Country Cheviot, which are British breeds too, and they do very well on grass. What is the most indigenous breed to, to the East Coast? It's whatever does well is what right. people whatever keep. came on the Mayflower. Whatever came. Yeah, whatever say, what came. was the first one here yeah right. i think well i saw that you doing and those are the rams we're putting in i really like my favorite probably is is horn dorsets and the reason is is that the pole dorsets uh have been um uh uh crossbred and so they aren't really dorsets anymore they use larger ones like columbia's and the western breeds because the kids that are in the fairs competing in the fairs want something bigger and fatter sure. and, you know and but the the old type horn dorset is short and squatty and you want short and squatty because they they do better as a ruminant that's what you want you want just like with cattle you want uh devons or something or the old type angus that can take the grass in and have room for it to Does short and squatty mean they have a, a smaller leg? Yeah, they'll be shorter, but they'll have a, a wide area here. They, they aren't tall and lean and long, and because with those, the only way to get them fat is to feed them a lot of grain. Yeah, but they win lots of 
blue ribbons. That's exactly right. Yeah, and that's why the like kids want to. Yeah, 4-H farmers. It's all about a, how much yeah. money you get for the, the gold a, prize. Yeah, you want, you want a George Clooney. That's right. Right? Yeah. So, that's and how, right. many, how many lamb are you raising each year? Uh, about 3,000. Wow. So what we do is, uh, but the, the way we do it is, so we have a ewe flock of maybe 200. Uh, so that's, obvi- that's only going to be about uh, three 400 lambs. But we buy local lambs, and then we finish them on the grass. And so they've been raised, started on grass, and then we finish them on grass, and they do great. It's fine. Do you always buy from the same source? Like, I assume yeah. Yeah. You know your Yeah, we know where it's coming from. But I have somebody that does it for us, that buys them. And so we know what we're getting. But you do all the slaughter and all the yes, cutting? Yes, we do. Yeah. So they come to the farm. We finish them on the farm. Uh, Suki, we take them through a sorting chute in, at the farm. Suki feels the backs and decides that the cover's right. They're, they're in shape to go. And then we take them to the plant, which is about five miles away. And uh, the day before, and then they settle in, settle down, and uh, then we slaughter them. Do you truck them or you shepherd them? (laughs) Five miles? miles. I'm I'm envisioning a snowstorm. It sounds like Suki's got the magic touch. Yes, it's right in the palm of your hand. You know. She knows. Yeah, she knows. You you can sense their aura if they're ready. (laughs) Yes. Now you write in the book that uh, Suki does have the magic touch and that you're you're the one that knows if, like, the rack is right and it's all based on how their back feels. Right. Yeah. You just... Confirmation. You know your gut. Yeah. Wow. Now, would you ideally, can you handle more? Or is like, is this enough for the demand to do 3000 a year? Yeah, the, pro- the problem is, which you may know, is that, you know, the, the issue when you're dealing with a whole animal is getting rid of all the parts all the time. And it's, it's difficult. So some things sell better than other things. So you just try to make it as easy as you can. For instance, it's much harder to sell the middle meats now than it was uh, five Ever, or ten years ago. Everyone used to only want the loin and the racks. Exactly. Sure. And yeah. now it's everyone wants all the parts except for the... That's right, because they all want to buy cheap. Yeah. And they all want to buy shanks because they can get shanks and they're easy to deal with. They they braise them and can hold them for a couple of days. And the more yeah. you cook I them, mean, the, the better the they are. The popularity of the shank has only keeps increasing year, year after yeah. year, right? right? And as the rack starts to kind of right. decrease, right? It's a, with a 30 years ago, well, when we first started, we sold shanks for dog food. Right. Nobody would buy them. Yeah. It's amazing how it switched. And the same with necks and with shoulders. The shoulders we were using in um, in the prepared products we're talking right. about because nobody would buy them. So, so those were good for the stews and the, yep. right. and the, right. and the pie and, and the sausages. Yeah. sausages. Yes. yeah, in our experience, you know, yeah. we typically, our mail order, when we decide how we are going to break down the whole lamb that we're bringing in and have it processed, the shoulders were always for grind. And now yeah. I've been telling my colleague, Catherine, I'm like, don't grind them. I'm like, can you grind the legs instead? I need the shoulders. Um, right. So yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's interesting how there's, there's ebb and flow in terms of popularity of cuts. And it, it drives you nuts. Well, I think, that, I think a lot of this is chef-driven, right? And they're yes. looking yes. for something unique that other people don't have. Also, they're looking for a price per pound that's, that's palatable, right? Because you also got to sell it. They'll call and ask for 40 necks. Well, right. That, that's 40 animals. And if you don't have them on hand, what are you going to do? Right. 
Right. And if you're only doing 3,000 of them, that's a, yeah. that's a lot That's a lot all at once, right? Yeah. Right. It's, uh, those are the things that drive us nuts. But 40 necks, like the thing is, 40 necks doesn't even go a long way. So if you're no, a big that could be one 40, batch 40 for necks. a big restaurant, yeah, uh, two right. weeks worth, and then they want exactly. more. Exactly, they yeah. want more. Exactly. And are chefs particular that you work with about frozen versus fresh, or do they respect the they understand quality chef service? They, they understand that when you having like like 40 necks. necks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, if I have them on hand, uh, yes, but yeah. otherwise you're going to get frozen with, sure. shanks, especially in shanks, the summer. especially because all summer they aren't going to buy Nobody shanks. Nobody wants shanks, we so put we them freeze in the freezer. them, right? For sure. Right. So you're partially here. You know, you had an event last night, but also you've just published your book, Coyotes yep. in the Pasture and Wolves at the Door, part memoir, part cookbook. Tell us a little more about the book and also the title. Where did that come from? <laughs> the title is, was written way before the book was. We just yeah. came up with that title, and so what the so what the title refers to is uh, that the coyotes in the pasture part is what we dealt with with the farm, those issues. The wolves at the door was anyone who has a small business and would industri- The industrialism. Oh. Well, that. But the banks that wouldn't l- yeah, lend us every- money, and everybody yeah. that was after us, and trying to keep it going and, and trying to explain to a banker in a small town in western Pennsylvania who Danielle was or who Jean-Louis Paladin was, and this is really a big deal. No, nothing happened. And so that was the, that was the issue. So, but the book itself is a compilation of uh, stories of uh, chefs that helped us get going and how we just fell into becoming good friends with Julia, for instance, and Jean-Louis and Johnny Apple, who wrote for the Times, and all these things that happened to us that were just great. And then Suki has 25, I think, recipes, and it's just stuff that we use all the time. And they're one-pot recipes, mostly, and simple, and because people just are freaked out when they have to cook lamb i i don't know why i guess because they think of a rack of lamb being very expensive and they think they're, they're gonna blow it but you know braised and and braised dishes um and uh uh the things like shepherd's pie uh the lamb paprika any in the spit in the bouillonnaise are so easy to do and it's just great comfort food. It really is very tasty. What what piece do you use for the lamb paprika? Did we talk about this already? No. What no. what cut? No, you what were cut just are saying you? you'd the like stew that. Me. that would the stew be meat. The stew meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From the shoulder. From the, the shoulder. shoulder. Yeah. yeah. Because so the shoulder. Brandon's like, I can see it. Yeah. You're like tonight. Well, I know. It may happen tonight. I'm, t- I'm telling you. It's in so my good. head right now. It's so good. And the shoulder is so we made one stew with Jean Louis. It was his recipe. And uh, uh, we used, uh, the. I wanted to get rid of the legs because it was more profitable that way. We had a higher yield from the legs. And Jean-Louis tasted and said, you are using the leg. You have to use the shoulder. And mm. so, because it's much, it just, it, it's much more tender when you cook it like that. But then we have a recipe in, in two hours or so. But we have a recipe for uh, seven-hour leg of lamb, which was in Patricia Wells' Bistro Cookbook, and you and you braise it. You braise a leg in uh, in white wine for seven hours 
with root vegetables, and and it's you you spoon it. Mm. Suki, I, mean, I have an important question for you. Are you opposed to the instant pot? I have one. Okay, but I haven't used it very much. <laughs> my, I think it, my son. What is it? Our son gave it to us. The instant. It's pot. like a pressure yeah, cooker a pressure oh, and yeah. a crock pot all in one, and it right. speeds up a lot of the slower cooking, braising kind so of I dishes. So I have not mastered it. He loves it. I'd love to. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to email believe. you, and I would love to have one of the seven-hour dishes with an instant pot one of version. The, one of the. We should try. We're going to try. Gonna okay. try. One of the most important parts of a recipe is time. I, yeah. I'm with you on that. But like tonight, I don't know. You're maybe not making the seven hour. Uh... Probably not seven hours. No. 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 Right. Well, but, with uh, our, with, with our like, but that's really Sunday. That's what you do on yes. Saturday and Sunday. Right. And that's what's great. But, but this goes back to one of the important parts of a recipe is time. If you have the time, yeah. you're going to have a better, there's, there's going to be a better outcome. You don't always have the time, sure, so you right. pick, you choose recipes that you can do with the time. But you well, don't wanna, choose a I'm seven gonna, hour I'm going to request an amended book that has a few pages <laughs> in the back and says, "And <laughs> if you need to make these on the fly, Suki <laughs> says you can use the instant pot, and this is how to do it." That's a good. One. That's there you go, another market. But but see, what we do on the farm is because of our lifestyle, we're always on the farm. So she puts it in, and it's going to be there five, six, seven hours. With it, with our smaller legs, it's not seven hours, like right. five usually, four or five. But somebody's always going back and forth into the kitchen. We have big restaurant stove, a big Vulcan Heart uh, five-foot stove. And um, so you're always just kind of checking it all mm-hmm. the time. But but the longer it cooks, the better it is. So who cares? Yeah, you know, if it goes from five to seven. If you're yeah. like, oops, I had to stay out a little too long with the lamb for yeah. sure. Yeah. I had a couple of too many beers. Yeah, to yeah. yeah. I was grow. listening to the grass grow. <laughs> right. So what's next for you guys? Obviously, you're very busy on the farm. And uh, where can our listeners? Do you have some book signings coming up? I think. We do have some events in Pit in the Pittsburgh area. Okay. Yeah. Well, we have listeners from around the country to the podcast. So that's good. We have two. Yes. Two listeners. Right now. <laughs> right now, one one's waking up on the West yeah, Coast, and, uh, and the my mom. In, yeah, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, exactly. What um, tell, What's your website? People can find more information? www.jamisonfarm.com, J-A-M-I-S-O-N-F-A-R-M, singular.com. Cool. And uh, the book's available there, as well as every cut of lamb you ever wanted. Mm. And it sounds like some prepared foods that we can order Absolutely. to be shipped to us. Absolutely. Well, thank yes, you guys indeed. so much yes, for joining for us. Thanks we look for forward to us. tasting some of your lamb. And, and we'll be back. Back. <laughs> Suki's got on lamb socks, I noticed. Uh, she has her lamb socks. <laughs> I love you it. You do. All right. Thanks so much, guys. We'll be back next week. And stick around for Taste of the Past up next. The main course OG is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.